Imagine a technology that can do six to 700 G-forces, that can fly at 13,000 miles an hour, that uh, it can evade radar, and that can fly through air and water and possibly space, and oh, by the way, has no obvious signs of propulsion, no wings, no control surfaces, and yet still can defy the natural effects of Earth's gravity. That's precisely what we're seeing. You just heard former Pentagon official Luis Elizondo, who was head of the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. He was speaking to 60 Minutes last Sunday about the significance of UFO sightings by the U.S. military. All around the country and around the world, excitement about UFOs is reaching a fever pitch with a U.S. government report on unidentified aerial phenomenon due to the Senate possibly as early as June 1st. I'll be talking about the significance of a possible disclosure event this June, and also what went wrong in the U.S. that sent my home country down a road of secrecy, denial, and disinformation regarding the UFO phenomena. I'll also disclose my own prediction about this upcoming report. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Spectral Skull Session. Tales from the twilight world of myth, mystery, and imagination. The idea behind this podcast is that we explore claims about the occult, supernatural, and paranormal from an analytical standpoint. We're open to the existence of a world beyond the five senses, and we dismiss that dogmatic skepticism that insists that any story about the unexplained has to reduce to hallucinations or swamp gas. But we're not committed to any particular theory or philosophy about what the paranormal is, and we realize that, whatever is out there, the answer is likely to be more complicated than any existing model or theory. What we bring to the table is small s skepticism, a skepticism that we throw as much on the mainstream accounts as we do on the supernatural story. Okay, let's get started. Do you ever have this problem? You're getting ready for a long walk in the woods and you want to roll a spliff of smokable herb. You've got your herb in the bathroom. You're rooting around in your toiletries kit for medical scissors so you can chop it up nice and fine. But then you have to go get a plate from the kitchen. When you're all done, it's a mess. You've got herbs all over the bathroom. Your hands smell like herb. You've got to wash all this stuff and put it back. It takes forever to get out the door. You're not vibing. You gotta light that spliff up before you can feel at peace. Ugh. Luckily, Happy Trees has the solution. A premium grade stash box from Happy Trees. That's happytreesupplies.com. Happy Trees sells a convenient lockable stash box. It comes with a four-piece titanium grinder that will give you the smooth grind you've been looking for. The 50 diamond cut teeth grinds your herb to the perfect size for cones and rolls. The neodymium magnets keep the lid on tight while you grind. There's also a stash jar, which will protect your herb from damaging UV rays and keep moisture in so your stash stays fresh. The airtight seal helps keep smells inside so you can save them for yourself. There's also a metal rolling tray so you can save every precious bud. And everything fits snugly into the box. Plus it has a key so your nosy roommate or your little brother isn't poking around in your stash. They come in three varieties. There's the Metatron's Cube themed box that has Metatron's Cube etched on the box and every accessory. 
Metatron's cube is a sacred image associated with the angel who translates the directives of God into a form comprehensible to humans. This is according to the Kabbalah. There's also a desert visions themed box. It has colorful desert scenes painted onto the accessories. And for those of you who prefer plain, there's a box made of bamboo that is just adorable. I have my own Happy Tree stash box. Yes, I use it to hold my stash. I absolutely love it. These boxes range from $38.90 to $28.90 on the website, happytreesupplies.com. But now Happy Trees is offering a special deal to anyone who listens to this show. Use the coupon code SPECTRAL20 for a 20% discount. What are you waiting for? Skip the mess, get organized, and preserve your stash from degrading ultraviolet light and snoopy little thieves who try to make off with your herb. Check out happytreesupplies.com. That's happytreesupplies.com. June 1st is the paper deadline for a report to the Senate Intelligence Committee on UFOs. The stimulus bill passed in December of 2020 and signed into law by President Trump demanded, quote, detailed analysis of unidentified aerial phenomena data and intelligence gathered by the Office of Naval Intelligence, the Pentagon's Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, and the FBI. The upcoming and much-anticipated report has everyone on UFO Twitter and elsewhere abuzz with the possibility of a game-changing revelation from the U.S. government. Many people think that, yes indeed, they have been hiding from us the reality of extraterrestrials visiting our planet for years, decades, and most versions of the story going back into the 1940s. The key event there is the 1947 alleged Roswell crash, which a flying saucer is alleged to have crash-landed in Roswell, New Mexico, then been recovered by the U.S. Air Force, spirited away to an undisclosed location, and covered up with a story about crashed weather balloons. Ever since the initial flub in which the Air Force did, in fact, tell the media that they had recovered a flying saucer before later correcting themselves, people have wondered, what is the U.S. military hiding? Suspicions were revived in 1965 by the famous U Kecksburg UFO incident. This is a highly reputable event in which something allegedly bell-shaped crashed near Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, was very quickly recovered by the U.S. military. Dozens, if not hundreds of people, are on the record as having witnessed or been involved with the recovery of the Kecksburg artifact. In 2005, NASA made a statement saying that they had analyzed fragments found at the location near Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, and they had determined that it was a Soviet satellite that had crashed, but that subsequently they had lost all the records of the retrieval event. That's the sort of thing that really does not build confidence that your government is telling you the truth. And then, of course, there's Bob Lazar, the famous so-called whistleblower who's come forth about doing research at Area 51, literally alongside extraterrestrials. Bob Lazar has been a fascinating and a major contributor to what you might call the mythos of U.S. alien conspiracy because he is somebody who really was a rocket engineer, 
He is a very capable person. There are photos of him with a uh, jet-powered car he built himself. And people who meet him personally and work with him, journalists like George Knapp and, of course, the podcaster Joe Rogan, say it's, it's impossible not to believe him when you talk to him. And yet his story is absolutely incredible. There's the story of Philip J. Corzo, who rose to the rank of lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army uh, after retiring in 19... Oh, actually, it was right before he retired. He retired in 1998, but in 1997, he published the book The Day After Roswell about the Roswell incident, which he alleged that, yes, the U.S. military had indeed retrieved an artifact. What is often not mentioned about Philip Corzo, not only was he a successful career military officer, he had a history as a whistleblower. In 1992, he told the Senate Select Committee on POW and MIA Affairs that he had first-hand knowledge that President Eisenhower had suppressed information about prisoners of war left behind in North Korea. So there have been rumors, innuendo, and also straight-up whistleblowing events related to extraterrestrials, UFOs, and the U.S. military that happened all through the 20th century. You can absolutely question or just outright reject Bob Lazar or Philip Corso. You can't get around the fact that the U.S. Air Force really did tell the media they'd captured a flying saucer in 1947. You cannot get around that something crash-landed Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, and was quickly retrieved by the military and covered up. You cannot get around the entire culture of secrecy and denialism that was fostered by the U.S. military. And these things have made people feel like our military is hiding something very important. In fact, let me give you a very recent example. When this podcast first began reporting on the uh, UFO sightings that took place in the 21st century, we were careful to note Luis Elizondo, who you heard at the very beginning of the show. We didn't know if Luis Elizondo was really working for the Pentagon because the Pentagon had at several points said, actually, he never worked on the ATIP program. Well, it wasn't until April 27th, 2021, it's almost six months after we first covered this topic, Harry Reid had to put a letter, a signed letter on Twitter in which he said, yes, Luis Elizondo really worked for the Pentagon. He really worked on the ATIP program. So that's an example of the Pentagon outright lying in an attempt to obfuscate our search for the truth. Only in the 21st century have we seen a shift to the deliberate leaking of UFO imagery by the rank and file of the armed forces. And I am, of course, referring to the USS Nimitz event. I believe that was 2011 as well as some of the events that have been publicized just this year involving the giant pyramid-shaped UFO, some of these UFOs that have been seen coming in and out of the water at very high speeds. It would be implausible to deny that there's something going on involving the U.S. military and UFOs. Now, with that said, there are many who believe that it's an elaborate psychological operation. I am on the record as saying to this audience... We need to be wary of the possibility that the existence of extraterrestrials will be truthfully or falsely disclosed as means to manipulate the American public 
Well, I was thrilled this week when Segar Njiti, who works for The Hill, gave a YouTube video in which he said, uh, he argued, in fact, the opposite. He argued that what's happening right now with disclosure, possible disclosure, is absolutely not a Pentagon PSYOP. Let's roll that clip. The Pentagon had zero, absolutely zero interest in letting any of this come out. They pushed back against Harry Reid. They tried to bury Lou Elizondo. They never wanted any of this. For it to be a PSYOP, the people in charge have to be in control. And by all accounts of the principal players involved, they did their damnedest to make sure all of this remained a secret from the public forever. The argument he's making here is that if the Pentagon were engaged in a PSYOP to manipulate the American public, then they would not be actively denying and attempting to conceal the reality of UFOs, which is in fact what they've done. What I've seen confirmed almost firsthand with the way they made it difficult for me to report on Luis Elizondo. Um, I think this is a pretty strong argument. If anyone is running a PSYOP against the American public, I guess it would have to be Senator Harry Reid. Segar says himself, Reid is the man behind this entire disclosure movement. Let's roll that clip. Well, if you go and you see the modern history of what happened here, it was basically, this all only happened because Harry Reid was the most powerful person in the Senate, and he was just really interested in UFOs. Okay. And he's like, no, you guys are going to do it. And they pushed back so hard against him. You can read in some of the reporting. He's like, no, you're going to do it. And then he kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And once they had the information, then the SecDef, Mattis, he didn't want to hear it. Him and his staff, they're like, no, no. So they went to a journalist, and the moment the New York Times comes out, boom, now you have to talk about it. So if we accept Sagar's own logic which says that the person running a PSYOP has to be in control, the best candidate for running a PSYOP would now be Harry Reid. Or perhaps a cabal of people affiliated with Harry Reid. Perhaps Harry Reid is only one representative of them. Uh, I, I don't actually think this is all that likely right now. I'm inclined to accept the argument that Sagar is making here. I think it's a pretty good prima facie. So prima facie meaning... Um, unless new evidence comes to light, argument that we can put the PSYOP possibility to the side. I think that the threat that the revelation of UFOs will be used by malevolent, manipulative personalities uh, stands, and that's going to go no matter what. So when, when they come out and say there are aliens, if they do, um, there will be people who want to step up and tell you all about the aliens and their secret relationship with the aliens, how they know even more than anyone else does. There'll be a lot of people coming forth to do that. And um, that, I think, concern should remain with our audience. And it's certainly a concern that I continue to have. But I think that this is a pretty good argument against the Pentagon having, you know, having such a nefarious plan up their sleeve. Let's move on to talk about this upcoming report in more detail. The FBI, the Pentagon A-tip, and the Office of Naval Intelligence have all been asked to contribute to this uh, report that's being summarized and compiled by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, ODNI, which is interestingly an anagram for Odin, the Norse god of intelligence, warfare, and frenzy, so ecstatic 
visions and ecstatic states. Just one small example of the occult esoterica built into the U.S. government. So the director of the Office of National Intelligence is responsible for this report. That would be Avril Haines, who was appointed by President Joe Biden. ODNI was created in 2004 by an act of Congress. Allegedly, it was for the purpose of improving U.S. intelligence communications. So communications between the different intelligence agencies, FBI, CIA, the Department of Defense also reports to ODNI. And what they wanted to do was prevent another September 11th, but it happened in 2004 after the disastrous invasion of Iraq. Let me mention, U.S. invaded Iraq in 2003, and there were three different narratives about why the U.S. had invaded Iraq. The Bush administration said that the U.S. was invading Iraq um, because Saddam had links to terrorism, and they believed that he had weapons of mass destruction or the ability to produce them rapidly. Many in the press reiterated and independently seemed to collaborate this narrative by producing stories about Iraq as having weapons of mass destruction. The opposition narrative maintained that the U.S. was invading Iraq in order to capture their natural resources, and thus we got the protester slogan, no blood for oil. And in the parapolitical community, the world of late-night talk shows dominated by long-haul truckers, uh, these are shows like, uh, well, like Art Bell's Coast to Coast, they're, they said we were invading Iraq to capture a Stargate. This would be a gateway that allows instantaneous transportation from one planet to another, as depicted in the movie by the same name, Stargate. The belief was that since Iraq sits on top of the ruins of an ancient civilization, that would be the Sumerians, that there could be ancient alien technology buried in the sands that perhaps had been recovered by Saddam Hussein and needed to be transferred into the hands of a more trustworthy democratic government. Here's the thing about Iraq. We've never seen the Iraqi weapons of mass destruction. I'm pretty sure the U.S. did not get any oil out of the war, and I ain't crisscrossing the galaxy through no Stargate. So I think no matter what community you were in or would have been in during the run-up to the Iraqi war, we can all agree that the treasures that we expected to capture did not materialize. And so it was in the aftermath of this that they created a new office to coordinate intelligence gathering. The upshot of this is that the president is now responsible for major intelligence flops. If it says aliens aren't real, but then they turn out they are real, or otherwise gets important facts wrong, it will be appropriate for you to hold the president accountable. If you're not happy with what you see in June in this report, call Congress, call the White House, write the White House. After all, this is our government. It's our country. People we elect to represent us and the people we pay to defend the homeland have an obligation to tell us what's going on with UFOs. If they don't do it, it's a crime. And this is why this report is going to be significant, no matter what comes out. If, in fact, our military has secret dealings with aliens, if they're fighting a covert war, if they've captured live aliens, 
if they have alien spacecraft that they're trying to reconstruct, it will henceforth no longer be legal for them to have kept this information, if not from the public, at least from the House Select Intelligence Committee. Sorry, Senate Select Intelligence Committee. And that committee includes both Republicans and Democrats. Mark Warner, Dianne Feinstein, Ron Wyden, Martin Heinrich, Angus King, Michael Bennett, Bob Casey, Kirsten Gillibrand. On the Republican side, we've got Marco Rubio, he's the vice chairman, Richard Burr, James Reisk, Susan Collins, Roy Blunt, Tom Cotton, John Corrin, and Ben Sasse. So they're from places like California, Oregon, New Mexico, North Carolina, Idaho, Missouri, Arkansas, Nebraska. It's hard for me to imagine that this group of senators could all keep their mouths shut if the military said, well, we've got some captured aliens and uh, they tried to kill us when we captured them. And then they told us that they're going to invade the earth and we're doing our best to get ready for that. Hard for me to believe that they and their staff would be able to keep quiet about that. So I think we're, we're on the cusp of a revolution. Henceforth, people who keep information about aliens, should there be any such information inside our military, if they keep that quiet, they are no longer acting on behalf of the U.S. government. For our government is one for the people, by the people, and thus it answers to the people, at least through Congress. Now, there are people like Bill Cooper. He wrote a book called uh, Behold a Pale Horse. He was the sort of godfather of UFO conspiracy super theories. I think it was back in the 90s that he wrote Behold a Pale Horse. Ah, yes, that was written in 1991. Behold a Pale Horse alleges that the U.S. government has been infiltrated by aliens. Also, aliens have infiltrated all our major secret societies and various religions, and they use occult societies to control us. And then another one of the big names in UFO alien super conspiracies is David Icke, who in 1999 wrote a book, I think it was called The Biggest Secret, where he claimed that an interdimensional race of reptilian beings, known as the Archons or Anukai, have hijacked the Earth, and they have installed a genetically modified human-alien race that sort of infiltrated our political systems and our secret societies to control Earth. Now, if either Bill Cooper or David Icke, if those kinds of theories were true, then I would not expect it to matter that we, the people of the United States, have shifted our government's policies away from UFO secrecy and towards UFO forthcomingness because presumably our institutions have all been captured by evil aliens. But, um, you know, if that's the case, then I don't know why disclosure is interesting, right? I mean, I guess, why, why would we be all so excited and saying, oh, possibly something could happen this June? I imagine that all the people who are excited about the possibility of alien disclosure or just, um, these are people who presumably are not on board with the Ike Cooper kind of worldview, very dark worldview in which the aliens are already completely running the show here on Earth. And I myself entertain that only as a, as a possibility, not endorsing it either. But as our government shifts away from UFO secrecy to forthcomingness, we ought to ask ourselves, how do we start off down this dark road to secrecy 
disinformation, denial, lies in the first place. A little bit of digging. So obviously there's the 1947 Roswell event, but the Roswell incident isn't canonical. If we were to start with the Roswell incident as the first example of our U.S. government going down a road to denialism and secrecy, we would be starting off from a point that already endorses the reality of alien visitation, if not outright infiltration. What's something that we can all agree on? Everyone agrees that from July 12th to July 29th, 1952, there was a massive UFO flap over Washington, D.C. Historian Gerald Haynes, in a 1997 history of the CIA's involvement with UFOs, says, quote, there was a massive buildup of sightings over the United States in 1952, especially in July, and this alarmed the Truman administration. On 19th and 20th of July, radar scopes at Washington National Airport and Andrews Air Force Base tracked mysterious blips. On July 27th, they reappeared. Subsequently, the CIA reacted by forming a special study group within the Office of Scientific Intelligence and the Office of Current Intelligence. President Truman listened in on conversations between some of his top aides and scientists about the UFOs. And by 1953, at Truman's request, the CIA had organized the creation of the famous Robertson Panel. This panel included physicist Howard Robertson. The stated purpose of the Robertson Panel was to bring in scientists, have them talk to the military, and together to work out an assessment of what to make of the UFO phenomenon and specifically the 1952 UFO flap over DC that had gotten so much attention and even concerned the president. The panel interviewed the Air Force in particular, talking to the officers who were responsible for Project Blue Book, which was an earlier investigation into UFOs carried out specifically under the Air Force. They quickly concluded that the UFO sightings over Washington, D.C. had been caused by temperature inversion and that there was no scientific basis to the hypothesis that any of the UFO sightings that had been documented by the Air Force could be of extraterrestrial origin. They came up with, the, with this conclusion even though the Air Force personnel who spoke to them were open to the extraterrestrial hypothesis. In fact, one of the Air Force personnel said, I've eliminated every other possibility and I have scientific training I think the extraterrestrial hypothesis is the only good one. The Robertson panel said, yes, but your evidence is mostly based on observations by people who are subjective and therefore unreliable. So they rejected any claims to extraterrestrial phenomena, but they did say, we think that there's a political dimension to the phenomenon that needs to be taken seriously. And that is the following, quote, the continued emphasis on the reporting of these phenomenon does in these parlous times result in a threat to the orderly functioning of the protective organs of the body politic. We cite as examples the clogging of channels of communication by irrelevant reports, the danger of being led by continued false alarms to ignore real indications of hostile action, and the cultivation of a morbid national psychology in which skillful hostile propaganda could induce hysterical behavior and harmful distrust of duty Duty constituted authority. I believe that there's a misprint here. They mean duly constituted authority. Furthermore, they said, in order to most effectively strengthen the national facilities for the timely recognition and appropriate handling of true indications of hostile action, 
and to minimize the concomitant dangers alluded to above, the panel recommends A, that the national security agencies take immediate steps to strip the unidentified flying objects of the special status they have been given and the aura of mystery they have unfortunately acquired. B, that the national security agencies institute policies on intelligence, training, and public education designed to prepare the material defenses and the morale of the country to recognize most promptly and to react most effectively to true indications of hostile intent or action. To put it into modern terms, the panel concluded there's nothing to UFOs. There is, however, a threat that concern with UFOs could erode faith in the U.S. government and could become uh, a way for uh, the Soviets to overwhelm U.S. air defenses. And so the CIA was actively orchestrating a campaign of debunking, saying, this is what we need to do. We need America's scientists to get out there and educate the public so that they know that there's nothing to any of these sightings. Following the Robertson panel, it was about a year later, uh, a joint Army-Navy-Air Force publication in 1953 specified how to report a UFO sighting if you're a member of the military. And these regulations introduced penalties for military and even for some civilian personnel for unauthorized release of information pertaining to UFOs. In 1966, the Air Force pressured CIA and other organs of the U.S. government and said, hey, we really do think there's still something to this UFO thing and we've got more evidence now. So they had another meeting. This one was the became known as the Condon Report. The Condon Report was a book written over two years. Over 37 different scientists contributed chapters to it, and each chapter was debunking another kind of UFO. So they would say, here's a thing, kind of UFO you might see, but it's really just the planet Venus. Here's a kind of UFO you might see, and it's just temperature inversion, etc., etc. This was also organized by the CIA. And here's the thing about this Robertson panel. Dr. Thornton Page, who was one of the members, one of the scientific members of the panel, said that they met before the Robertson panel. They had an informal meeting before it officially began. They met and it was just the official members of the panel. They did not invite any observers at all. And at that, I guess you'd call it a secret meeting, the CIA guy told them the point of this panel is to establish that UFO reports can be explained by conventional reasoning. So the conclusion was foregone. Uh, as further evidence that the CIA had a, an agenda pre-planned for the Robertson panel, we know that there's a August 19, 1952 unsigned CIA memorandum that's been declassified. The CIA memorandum dismisses the possibility that UFOs are made by either the U.S., Russians, or spaceships. And then it says that um, although it's totally illogical to think that any of, the, any of these explanations could be true, nevertheless, many people in America will persist in believing them, which shows that there are many people in our society who are conditioned to the acceptance of the incredible. This has major national security implications. The memo goes on to note that the Soviet press never reports on UFOs which in their view is evidence that the Soviets 
are aware of the military potential for UFO sightings, that uh, you could generate a UFO flap and get people excited about UFOs as a way of masking uh, an aerial campaign against a country. And furthermore, this CIA memo also raises questions about civilians who are interested in flying saucers and whether those civilians might be getting money from the Russians. But the main lesson here, the CIA had it figured out ahead of time what they were going to find on the Robertson panel. Clearly, the CIA had an agenda, which was, if not antagonistic to the truth, at least orthogonal to the truth, they didn't really care about flying saucers. They didn't really care if UFOs are really alien spacecraft. They just cared about what happens if people believe UFOs are real. Can that belief then be exploited by foreign adversaries, by which they met the Soviets? And so here we have actual textual evidence, positive evidence, that our government engaged in a PSYOP, a somewhat benevolently oriented PSYOP, but nevertheless, it's an attempt to control what people believe in a way that is not truth-tracking. It is at best indifferent to the truth. I would also like to add that one of the earliest books on Men in Black, these are the uh, alleged sort of secret characters. They show up often dressed all in black after you see a UFO and they tell you, don't talk about UFOs or we'll kill you or we'll do something terrible to your family. The very first man, Men in Black sighting it was reported by Albert Bender in his book, Flying Saucers and the Three Men. Albert Bender was a little bit of a kook. And, uh, you know, like he lived in his dad's house his whole life. It lived in like the attic. And uh, he had it turned into like a haunted house. And he was just really interested in UFOs. And um, he started a little UFO club and he had a UFO magazine that went national. And it was a big deal. And then he says in his book, Flying Saucers and the Three Men, he got visited by men in black who told him, you know, we don't want people talking about this. We don't want anyone to know about us. And they ordered him to close down his periodical. When I first read Flying Saucers and the Three Men, I thought that perhaps Albert Bender was describing a psychotic break, perhaps related to the fact that the stress of running his magazine was more than he could handle. But in light of these CIA memos and the Robertson panel reading that I've done for this episode, I'm wondering now if he did have a psychotic break, but it was triggered by maybe the CIA coming to visit him and saying, oh yeah, we really are aliens and we're really real and we're going to do something bad to you if you don't stop talking about us. Because apparently they really wanted to shut this stuff down. So I think you can see what's going on here. The, the CIA got involved in doing research on UFOs at the request of the president, and they brought their sort of dark, paranoid way of looking at the world to the topic, and they said, you know, we see this problem entirely through the lens of Cold War national defense, which may have been justified at the time. I don't know. I know that at the time, uh, we were still mostly concerned about being bombed by Russian bombers. They were literally expected to send planes to fly over our country to drop nuclear bombs on us in the 50s. By the 60s and the 70s, right, we would be less concerned about that and more concerned about missiles. And missiles, you know, it doesn't matter if you see them or not, you're not going to shoot them down. Um, the bombers, you might actually, you know, somebody could actually make a phone call and say to the local Air Force base, hey, there's a bunch of Russian bombers coming in and you'd better intercept them. And you might actually have a successful intercept because of that. So I think that concern 
that our air defenses could be overwhelmed by false reports of, you know, flying objects might have had some validity at the time in the 50s. But it set up a culture of secrecy and denial and bad faith debunking, right? Because these guys didn't even care whether UFOs were real or not. They didn't care whether it was true. They said, oh, it's just important that we recruit people to debunk them, to show the American public that they're not real. What I also find scary about this topic is that it worked. So from all of my life, up until maybe the past 10 years, for most of you know, most of our listeners, especially if you lived through a good chunk of the 20th century, you lived in an era when people said that UFOs were weird. And like we looked askance at people who took them seriously. Part of why we did that is because the CIA was running an active campaign of discrediting people who were interested in UFOs. It wasn't just national security concerns about being overwhelmed by false reports. They also were concerned about the threat that belief in strange things could pose to, what was it, our duly constituted political body? So talk about social engineering here. But if my analysis is correct, I do think it gives some cover for the military. I respect the military. Um, I respect their culture of following orders. You know, we're just going to do what the civilian leadership tells us to do. Um, and it sounds like when they formulated their pro their pro secrecy um, sort of rules for reporting on UFOs in the aftermath of the Robertson panel, they were doing just that. And I would sort of hazard speculation that then the military formed a culture of secrecy, nothing to see here, because they just continued to follow the lead of CIA and other, you know, sort of intelligence analyst types who had formulated this policy back in 1952, in which case the military keeping everything a secret for all these years is largely um, sort of the aftermath, right, of some paranoid, deliberately disinforming decision-making that was just made during a particularly dark time in American political history, the 1950s, or period of significant paranoia. Okay, and now here's my predictions about what the June 2021 Office of the Director of National Intelligence report is going to say. I think, first of all, this report is not going to reveal that we have hidden alien bases, because as I've said, if it's the case that we are sort of working with aliens, uh, they've infiltrated our government to an extensive degree, then nothing's going to get the truth out. It's too late. They've already taken over. And we're living in a world like uh, Invasion of the Puppet Masters by Robert Henline. Excellent book. Less excellent movies have been made. Um, Furthermore, I don't expect to hear anything about alien abductions, cattle mutilations, close encounters of the third kind. I think we will hear nothing about any of that. I think the report will entertain the possibility that some portion of as still unexplained sightings are foreign adversarial craft. I also believe the report will entertain the possibility that these craft are not of this world, but that the report will not take a position. And I think this mostly because I think, first of all, one, we are seeing a shift in government policy towards UFOs. And that's going to be a shift away from Cold War legacy 
denialism uh, of the phenomenon. But that doesn't mean that our government knows what's going on and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence is primarily concerned with protecting the executive the executive branch of government's rear end. So they're going to say nothing specific they don't absolutely have to say in order to give as much wiggle room as possible to the executive branch. That would be President Joe Biden. So sorry, everyone, if you were looking forward to uh, aliens, you know, maybe coming out on the steps of the Capitol building and saying, here we are, we've been hiding and we've been working with you for years. I definitely don't think there's any nearby possible world where that happens. But that doesn't mean that what's happening this June won't be monumental. We are witnessing a sea change in our government's policies towards the existence of UFOs. Henceforth, we can look forward to greater collaboration between the public, between science, and the U.S. military on investigating just what these phenomena are. Until next time, I've been your host, Dane. Stay strange and stay sane.